for our guest's sake, we've been uh, studying John chapter 13 through 17 for quite some period of time now, just looking at that last week of Christ's life. Uh, and as we come into this time, we, we, we see that uh, the high priestly part of Christ and the high priestly prayer, we've talked about that. But the thing that I really want you to catch as we go through this is remember that what Jesus is doing is he's preparing his disciples to carry on the work now that he's gone. All that he says, all of this teaching, all of the instruction, the prayer, everything from chapter 13 through 17 is to get these disciples at the place that they can carry on the work of Christ without Christ being here. We would call that post-Pentecostal time uh, and, and the age in which you and I live. So this is, yes, it happened then, but this is very, very pertinent for you and I. This is very applicable to you and I. These are the teachings that Christ needs for us to understand this morning if we are going to be uh, successful in carrying out the things that he wants to do. And say, so, well, are we going to be? Well, if we're not, it's not uh, through any fault of, other than our own because he had already taught them earlier in this passage that greater works than I have done, greater works than I have done, you will be able to do. Not greater as far as in their scope, but greater in that they'll have a far more reaching impact than what Jesus had because Jesus was right there and he was limited only in the flesh uh, to the scope of what he could do. Now his people are scattered across the world and we have the power of the word of God that has been printed and preserved down through these years. We have every potential not to huddle up and just hold on till the end and, and, and just to try to persevere. We have every tool to continue the work of God successfully. We're just not doing it like we ought to. So this is a very important teaching for us as we come to uh, this teaching. As I was thinking about this particular passage that I wanted to begin to deal with, and we're going to kind of take a, a mini-series within this series, if you will, and, and I want us to consider for the next few weeks within this series the hallmarks of Christian joy. Uh, 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 pardon me. The hallmarks of the Christian life. The first one being joy. Then the next one being holiness, truth, mission, unity, and love. So however many of those are, that, that for the next few weeks, that's what I intend for us to do is a series, if you will, inside of a series as we're studying these things of, of equipping us for post-Pentecost work that there are some hallmarks of a Christian's life, and the first one is joy. And so we're going to look at that this morning. I was thinking as I was preparing for this message and thinking about these hallmarks, I thought, you know, it would be so much easier if, if in, in, in life you could identify everybody right off the bat. All right? For example, if, if you're in the business world, and somebody comes in interviews and they are lazy. If somehow there's a mark on their forehead that says, I'm lazy. Wouldn't that save you a lot of problems? Those in management and hiring? Uh, if there was somebody that uh, uh, was dishonest, wouldn't it be a lot easier if somehow it just identified them as dishonest right there on their forehead so you'd know what they were right off the bat? I think of all the times when we were raising our girls and, and they were little kids and as you raise your children, I, I think about all the times that we have warned them about being careful about strangers. Now, we talk about all the, the sexual predators and putting them on a, on a list and address and everything. So everybody, wouldn't it be a lot simpler if there somehow was an identifying mark, I'm a sexual predator, and the child could see that and say, oh, I've got to stay away from there. It would be easy in this world in which we live if everybody could be identified very easily as honest or a liar or lazy or a hard worker or, or somebody that's out to hurt you or somebody that would be out there to actually care for you. 
What I want you to see this morning is, it's not going to be printed on our forehead, but there are some marks, some identifying, distinguishing marks that ought to tell the world we are His. And make it easy for the world to understand we belong to Him. We just sang a song, and now I belong to Jesus. And I wonder if sometimes it's not like uh, the preacher that, you know, uh, was up there and he was preaching the, the funeral of somebody and they were in the coffin there and, boy, they just went on and on and on about all that this person did and all the good and, and how they loved and how they, you know, and all the things that a lot of times a preacher will do. And the family come up and looked in there and said, I just want to make sure that was my family member in there because what he was describing is not this person. We need that ability for the world to say I see joy in them so I know they're a child of God as I mentioned this morning that's kind of why I went the direction I did with the redemption draweth nigh there's not a lot of joy to be found in this world is there I mean, what have they got to be joyous about now? You, you're scared to go to a high school football game. You're afraid to go to, to malls and the, the, the financial and all the, the things that are there. And, and our world is trying to find something that they can have sure enough joy about. This morning, let's consider for the time that we have together this morning the hallmarks of the Christian life, joy. In John chapter 17, as Jesus is praying for his disciples, he begins in verse 9 and he says, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am come, uh, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou hast given me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I, and here's our verse for the morning, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus said, all the things that I'm teaching, I've said so that they might have not just joy, but my joy. It's interesting to me that we think about what's important in a church today and, and there's so much attention being paid to worship. And, and as I told you a few weeks ago, that, that joy is the motivation for worship. We as God's people get back to having a joy-filled life and we won't need books on how to worship and we won't need to be encouraged to worship for a joyful Christian is a worshiping Christian. You see what I'm saying? You take a child of God that no longer has the joy of Christ in their life and they're the ones that have to be motivated to worship. When I am filled with the joy of Jesus Christ, you won't have to encourage me to worship, you won't have to command me to worship, and you won't have to tell me how to worship. It will be an outflowing of the joy. We talk a lot in churches today about ministry. We need to have this ministry, and we need to get this ministry started. And if we only had this ministry, again, I'll come back to, if we had the joy of Christ in our life, the ministry is going to come naturally. The church that does not have the joy, the child of God that's struggling in that joy of Christ in their life is the church member that you have to constantly beat on, if you will. Uh, we have this ministry. You need to be a part of this ministry. You signed up to be a part of this ministry. You need to be faithful in ministry. 
the joy of Christ solves all of that for us. It is amazing to me how big of a part of scriptures this subject of joy plays and yet how little it is talked about among God's people. For example, the verb for joy occurs 72 times just in the New Testament. How many books in the New Testament? Uh-oh. Uh, 27 in the New Testament. I'm not even counting the Old Testament and Hebrew. Just in the Greek language and in the New Testament, in which there are 27 books, 72 times authors have used the verb for joy. The noun for joy occurs 60 times within those 27 uh, books. So within 27 books, there is a combination between the noun and the verb of 132 references to joy. And yet, how often do we hear about it in church circles today? How often do we hear sermons about being joy-filled? How often do people describe us as being joy-filled? As you look at this word joy... There, there is a, a sense in which uh, joy can be a feeling and it can be an action. And both of them are used in the New Testament. And it's interesting to me that the feeling cannot be commanded. So well, what do you mean, Brother Jeff? In the 137th Psalm, uh, Babylon has conquered uh, Israel and they've carried them off into Babylon captivity. And in that 137th Psalm, verses 1 through 6, it talks about that the children of God had hung their harps up in the willow trees. Now, what are, what's the purpose of a harp? Why, why would you own a harp? But Dave, why do you own a fiddle? For the, to play music. Nobody built a harp, nobody manufactures a harp to hang in a willow tree. Now, that's just not what you do. All right? So these harps were manufactured, they were built, they were sold, they were purchased for the purpose of singing and playing. And in the, po in, in, in the point that's being made in the 137th Psalm is they were used in the worship of God and in the rejoicing of God, and yet they're hanging up in the willow trees because they're not in Jerusalem, they're in captivity. And if you'll read that passage... The people from Babylonian command them to pick up those harps and to sing. And their response was, how can we sing in rejoicing? How can we be joyful? How can we hope and, 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 and have this joy-filled life while we're here in Babylon and Jerusalem lies in ruins? The feeling of joy all right, that we experience when everything's going our way, that's not something that can be commanded. You cannot... Walk up to your kids and say, now, be joyous. If they don't want to be joyous, they're not going to be joyous. You can hold a gun to my head and you command me to be joyful. And I might smile and I might put on an act that I'm joyful so that you don't shoot me. But am I actually joyful? No, you cannot command the feeling of being joyful. It is something that will come natural because of the events and the circumstances of your life. We'll ask the other brother David. I'm going to have to get them separated because they sit too close and they're both brother David. Brother David Tate, you're out, you're out, you're out fishing and you have just landed the, the biggest bass you've ever caught in your life. Does Nikki have to say, shouldn't you be excited about this? It comes pretty natural, doesn't it? 
when, when we get a raise. Man, we're excited. When, when, when the Hogs knock off number one ranked Alabama or, or, or LSU or whoever it is, we get excited. Man, there's joy. Woohoo! That's a feeling that comes natural. And it, does, it, it can't be commanded. Now, you're going to be amazed maybe by what I say when this comes, but I've spent so much of the early part of my quote-unquote pastoring trying to keep people from, from letting emotions dictate their worship. And I realize that I think we've gone way too far for that now. It has been years. It has been years since children of God showed the same joy, the feeling of joy about being a child of God that we do about the Razorbacks winning or getting the raise or catching the big bass or going here or doing this or having that trip to Disney World or whatever it may be. We get more excited about all of that stuff and we're happier about all of that stuff than just that feeling of standing before God in his presence, in his house, with his people and knowing that God is here, his word is proclaimed and where God is and God's word is proclaimed and his spirit is there attending, great things can happen. But we've lost that joy because we're afraid that if somebody sees us get a little excited or raise a hand or, or anything like that, everybody's going to think, well, what in the world? You know, there is a feeling of joy and you can't command it. The Bible talks a lot about this, that, that feeling of joy when the angels announced that a son would be given to you, Mary. And it says that, that there was great joy at this announcement. And later on when the angels appeared to the, to the shepherds and they gave them this announcement and it, it produced this feeling of great joy in their life. Woo, this is good stuff. Jesus Christ is here. The Son of God, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for for all of these years is here. The Bible talks about the one that lost the sheep, the one that lost the coin, and the one that did these things and how that they swept and they went out searching and when they found it, what was there? There was great joy. Things were well again. So there's the idea of the joy that is a feeling and it cannot be commanded. But then there is the joy that is the action and that joy must be commanded. In fact, throughout scriptures, we find many instances where, the, the, where children of God are commanded that they are to experience this joy. This joy is an, is an action that, is, that, that, that we have to engage in regardless of what's going on. For example, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 5, verse 18, Proverbs 5, 18 tells, us that, uh, tells the reader to rejoice in the wife of his youth. Not rejoice in the wife of his youth as long as she never does burn his toast in the morning. Not rejoice in, 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 in the wife of his youth as long as she never says, no, I'd rather you not go fishing today and I'd rather you go to the mall with me. It's not, it's not what's going on. It's not what she's done. It's not whether, whether you really like that hairstyle or not. You told her you did, <laughs> but you really don't. Or when she asks you, does this make me look big? And you're thinking, mm, I better not answer that. Commanded to be rejoicing regardless of what's going on. 
Scriptures tell us that we are to, to rejoice in, in situations where, where you would think it's impossible to rejoice. And that's why it must be commanded. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commands his people to rejoice even though they're persecuted. Rejoice when you're reviled. Rejoice when you're slandered. Paul told the church at Philippi that you must always continue to be rejoicing. This is not that feeling. This is that determined action. That it really doesn't matter what's going on in my life. I have determined that in Christ I have reason to rejoice and to be happy and to have joy in my life. James said that Christians were to count it all joy when they fall into various testings because such testings produce endurance acts chapter 5 verse 41 we were in acts chapter 5 in our sunday school class this morning and we were talking about uh as you look at that entire chapter here are the uh is peter and, and some of the other apostles and they find themselves in jail for preaching the word of god and god delivers them from the jail and so they go right back to the synagogue right right back to preaching and they said hey whoa whoa did we tell you not to do this and as you follow that story in acts chapter 5 verse 41 Peter said, we rejoiced because we were counted worthy to suffer. So even in our suffering, Peter says, listen, don't think it's strange when you fall into these, the, to these trials and these persecutions and, and these sufferings, but rather rejoice in them. So we kind of get an idea of what this joy is. It, it, it is that feeling that all is well, and, and boy, things are great, and uh, it, you know, it's like I got the luck of the Irish today type thing, you know. I, I was on the sidelines Friday night uh, doing chain game for Arkadelphia High School. Those of you that might have been at the game, late in the game, very late in the game, all right. Uh, who'd we play? Sylvan Hill scored a touchdown, all right. Now, if they uh, kick the extra point, then it's a tie. So... All of a sudden, the ball gets ready to snap, and one of their offensive men moved, all right, which means the play is dead. But oftentimes, the play goes ahead and, 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 and carries out, and so when they snapped the ball, the guy come up, and he kicked the ball, and Arkadelphia blocked it, and if there wasn't the flag against Sylvan Hills for a false start, we win the game. But they committed a foul which means now that the play doesn't count, so guess what? We do it all over again, and this time... They kick it, and it's good. Coach and I, their coach, Sylvan Hills, and I was talking about it, and I said, you know, uh, I need to find out where your leprechaun lives and see if I can't borrow him for a little while. Y'all committed a foul, and it, it, instead of being penalized for it, you actually are going to win the game now because they have a chance to win the game because of that. There is that feeling of joy because just, boy, everything is going your way. But guess what? Life doesn't always go our way, does it? Life is not always as far as the circumstances filled with joy. And that's where we have to come to this place where joy is no longer a feeling, but it is an action that we have determined to do. What is it that the world sees in us? Do they see us nervous and scared like they are about all the things that goes on? Do they see us as griping and grumbling and complaining about everything in life the way that they do? 
Do they see us when negative things happen in our life and we just completely fall apart and we're no longer faithful to God? And we, we, we tell the pastor when he comes by to see us, well, when all of this stuff gets straightened out, we'll get back to the Lord's house. What the world needs to see is we have made that decision that even though everything else around us is what it is, we've decided to focus our attention on Him and what we have in Him and not on what's going on in our lives. And therefore, we can be joyful even when everything in life is just a mess around us. I read the story one time of a, of a preacher that was preaching in Scotland. And uh, he had a very you know, monotone voice. He never got excited, kind of like me, real quiet when he spoke. One of his members got kind of bored with him, and so he just started doodling, and he'd write stuff, and he'd draw pictures and everything. And inspired by the pastor's sermon on this particular Sunday, one of his notes was found that he was doodling and drawing, and he said, to dwell above with saints I love. Aye, that would be glory. To dwell below with saints I know. Now that's a different story. Did you catch that? Man, to live with those saints above, oh, that'd be so much, that'd be great. But when I live with these saints here, that's a whole nother story. What if the world looks at us and says, ah, same thing. I see no joy. I see no peace among them, no contentment among them. They're rocked like I'm rocked. They claim that they have an anchor, as Brother David played in the, in the offertory, and that, that hide thou me, but yet I see in their eyes, and I see it in their, in their life, in their faithfulness, and I, and I see it in how they react, that they really don't believe that he is able to hide them, and they really don't have that joy that they talk about, supposedly they have as Christ. For his children, the world needs to know that identifying mark that we are people of joy. Is there a difference between what we profess and know what we ought to be and what we really are? Do circumstances get us down and instead of victory that we should be experiencing, we live in defeat and discouragement? I want you to know this morning that joy can be lost. You can lose your joy. If you could not lose your joy, you would not have Jesus praying, Father, I pray that their joy would be full. If you could not lose your joy, then you would not have Paul commanding the church at Philippi, you must always be rejoicing. If you could not lose your joy, you would not find the verb uh, to rejoice or to have joy in the uh, imperative uh, so many times in the New Testament. But the truth is we can lose our joy. Remember what David prayed? King David? Lord, I've been carrying this bag around for over a year now. It's heavy. <laughs> it's, that bag in it, it's got, it's got tons of guilt. And, and, and regrets. And it's got, it's got things like murder and, and adultery. And, and, and I've been dragging that around for over a year now. And so he said, God, 
please give me the joy of your salvation back. He had lost that joy because of unconfessed sin. There was a time, and you know, and you've heard me say this countless times, we have so dignified ourselves that we don't confess sins anymore. We don't get excited. There is no joy. Gone are the tears of sorrow. Gone are the tears of a burdened heart. Gone are the tears of repentance. And gone are the tears of joy. We used to fill altars regularly. And it's not done anymore. To have that joy ripped from our being when it's ours because we're carrying around sins for years and months at a time and all along Christ is saying you know my child I died for that sin that sin's a forgiven sin if you just confess it to me and 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 let me take it and what does he do with it when he gets it what's the Bible says he does with them I bury them in the sea in the depths of the sea, never to be remembered again, and I remove them so far from me as the east is from the west. And again, the idea that they'll never be remembered. My child, why are you dragging around? King David, why are you toting around this, this, this huge sack of all the regret and all the sorrow and all the guilt when all you got to do is confess that sin to me and you'll find my joy once again. So many children of God, I just don't enjoy going to church anymore. And just to be honest, well, with all the unconfessed sin in our lives, there's probably a reason why we don't enjoy it. Joy can be taken from us from unconfessed sin. Joy can be taken from us from inactivity in service. We're just not doing what we're supposed to do. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. There was a joy of doing what God had commanded him to do, what God had asked of him to do. There was a joy in finishing the task. And it was such a joy that he could push through all the pain, the agony, and the suffering of the cross for that joy. Sometimes we let the tough times deter us and we become inactive in his service. And we wonder why everything in life falls apart. We wonder why we don't have joy anymore. There is a loss of joy over unconfessed sin. There's a loss of joy over the inactiveness in service. And there is a loss of joy when we become so rigid and ritualistic and formal that we're not worshiping from the heart anymore. Jesus told, or God's word told the Old Testament Israelites, I've had enough of this. If, if listen, if you're going to bring all these lambs and you're going to slaughter every one of them, you're going to offer your blood and you're going to go through all the steps that I commanded you to do, but your heart is not in it. There is no worship. Uh, your lips speak of praise to me, but your heart doesn't produce it. I've, I've had enough of it. I don't want no more of that stuff. There is no joy in worshiping God when all we do is go through the steps that we go through, and we go through them because it's the same steps we took every week. And people say, well, then we ought to change our steps. No, that's not what God told Israel. God did not tell Israel, don't take these steps anymore. He said, take these steps and take them every time you come, but you make sure that you choose before you start those steps, I am going to do this in joy today. 
And I'm going to do this as an outpouring of my worship and my love. We lose joy so easily, so quickly, and many times it's gone before we ever even realize that it is gone. Almost done. Hang in with me, please. I want you to know this morning, based on what Jesus commands, that joy can be reestablished and it can be maintained. We understand that there is joy and, and there's the feeling of joy, which is great and needs to be a part of worship. But there's also the action of joy that can be commanded and must be worked on or we will not have it. The joy that's the feeling will come natural. The joy that's the action will not come natural. It has to be commanded. It has to be worked on. If you've lost your joy this morning, there's unconfessed sin. You're like King David. You're toting around your bag. You've been inactive. You've been backslidden for a while or you've allowed your worship just to become nothing more than form then let me assure you this morning, you don't have the joy of Christ. Not like we ought to, but it can be reestablished and it can be maintained. And I love how you go about doing it. In our text, he said, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak, that they might have joy. Our joy... That, that, that feeling of joy and the command to have joy all are ours based on what he has told us. Based on what he has told us. It is his teachings that are the foundation of joy. If your foundation of joy is the things of this world, then guess what? The things of this world are constantly changing. If your joy is the fact that your team is winning or that you had a good deer season this year, uh, you don't kill a wall hanger every year, do you? You don't catch that, that, that wall hanging bass every year. But Bill, you don't shoot the best game of golf every day, do you? If you do, I want to go golfing with you and let you teach me. Most every time I go is a, new, is a new height, if you will, in the lows of golfing. But this word doesn't change, does it? And it presents to us the unchanging one. It tells us that when your world changes, he remains the same. And it tells us that when your world changes in the worse, he still loves you as much as he ever has. And in his word is the word that tells us that yes, times are going to get bad. Men are going to become more and more wicked, more and more evil, more and more violent. And yes, there's going to be natural disasters. And yes, there's going to be this and war and strife on every hand. But his word is the word that tells us, lift up your head for redemption is drawing nigh. How would you know that redemption is drawing nigh if it wasn't for this? Jesus said... The key to my joy being in you is my book, my teachings. By the way, if you go back to John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, you're going to find the same teaching. You can have my joy if you continue in love with my Father and if you continue in my commandments. Two other times in this passage between John chapter 13 and 17, he talks about if you want to be a joyful child of God, you've got to stay in my word because this is the source of our joy. 
So my joy is in my grandkids. They can't bring you joy like this can. Paul and I have been talking a lot lately about we, we're starting to reflect because we're watching, we're watching our grandkids grow up. You know, and right now, y'all saw it last Sunday. They, I think they put it all over Facebook. Uh, Heather took some pictures of it and sent it to me and everything. Cater cannot wait to come up here and sit in my lap. But if you think, if you think for one minute that about 10 years from now when she's 15 or 16, she's going to come up here and sit in my lap, you know better than that, don't you? How were you around your grandparents when you were 15, 16? Was it any different than when you were five or six? See, again, things change. I, I love to see it every now and then when I perform the marriage ceremony, you know, and they're walking out and they're getting ready to go on their honeymoon and begin their life together. And, oh, they're so much in love. Oh, I just love her so much. Oh, he's the greatest thing. Mom, ain't he wonderful? I promise you that sentiment will change somewhere in that, in that marriage. It doesn't mean you'll stop loving them. But things change, don't they? His words do not. And he said the next thing is, for our joy to be complete, as I mentioned in John 15 and 16, he said, not only do you have to continue in this, but you must remain in the love of my Father. It's all about fellowship. There's joy for the child of God when they're in fellowship with God. And that's why all of those years of my life that I try to stop some of y'all from traveling where you fall out of fellowship with God. You see, that joy is gone, isn't it? My salvation's not gone. It can't be taken away. But the joy of God's salvation can be lost because I'm not in fellowship with God the way I ought to. And there we go again, back to the, 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 the root of the whole problem. Too many of God's children today are looking for joy from the world, looking for joy from this relationship, looking for joy from this accomplishment, looking for joy from this trip, from this entertainment, from this pleasure. And I'm telling you that the child of God will not find joy unless they find it in God. That's our joy. Fellowship with Him. And you know what's coming next, don't you? It's not just fellowship that is between me and him, but it's fellowship here too. Because if the fellowship here is not right, then the fellowship here is not right either. It's just not right, all right? And I've listened to Children of God for nearly 30 years in five different churches. I just don't get anything out of church. I just don't enjoy it anymore. Well, maybe it's time... Maybe it's time to fix the relationships here and get us in fellowship so that we can fix the relationship here and get in fellowship here between us and God. And maybe now, on the authority of the Word of God, our joy will be reestablished and can be maintained. I realize as we get ready to stand up and have a word of invitation, our musicians come, I realize probably nobody's going to want to come in the morning because everybody's going to think, oh, I wonder what's going on in their life that they don't have joy. But I'm here to tell you this morning, 
if that joy in your life is not all that Christ said it could be and should be. Notice he didn't just leave it at joy. He said, my joy fulfilled. You know what fulfilled means? It is filled to the place that it's full and you can't put no more in it. It's overflowing. Is that your joy today? Is that what the world sees in us? The hallmark of a Christian. They are joyous. Father, as we stand and prepare for this verse of invitation, may you stir and move in our midst. God, we, we get our eyes off of you and so focused on the world in which we live. And sometimes we get so bogged down in our own sins that we do not bring them to you and confess them and have them for forgiven. And sometimes we just get inactive in our service to you. Father, there's so many things that we allow to rob us of our joy and the world scratching their head wondering, is there really anything to Christianity? God, help us to become people filled with your joy today. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.